and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, uh, were you going to ask me about my diet? Uh, but, uh, I, I, sure. I just assume this is going to be our running thing throughout January, us talking about our diets. Right. Uh, I mean, we got to, you know, second what, how, how do we sustain ourselves through these uh, screenings that we uh, go to from time <laughs> to time? I mean, as long as we've got running uh, jokes, let's just tie them all together. Tie? That's a nice tie you've got there, David. Yeah. Uh, I haven't said is, that I'm, one in a while. I'm wearing a, a Christmas present. Oh, it looks nice. Tie. Thank you. Um, Diet, yes. How's it going? So, uh, all my, like, cravings lasted about seven days, and now I feel feel great. I'm not hungry. What was that little hand motion you it's, used? It's gone. I thought you were telling You're me to, fine. like... I'm like, saying hey, knock cut, it... Cut it yeah, out. Cut, cut it short. Cut we, have a, we have a guest here. Yeah, we do, we do have a guest, but I wanted to check up on your diet. Uh, it's going okay. And the listeners um, want to know. Oh, the, do they want to know, or do they want to uh, make some, some suggestions? Because uh, I've gotten a lot of suggestions. I'm open to open to suggestions. Uh, I'm open to them to a certain extent. Uh, n- people have been very nice about it, and they, they want to be supportive. But after a while, it's just... You get a lot of conflicting information, and after a while, it's like, well, now I don't know what to do. Now I might be doing harm to my body. I don't know uh, <laughs> what anybody is uh, what anybody's saying. So, um, But no, it's going, uh, it's going okay. Uh, as I mentioned uh, last week, I was going to give myself... The day off on Friday, um, and I did, mm-hmm. and I had some pizza, mm-hmm. and I had uh, some Pepsi, and I tell you, uh, even though I knew I was going to give myself the day off, like eating the pizza, which by the way was delicious, <laughs> and that Pepsi, spot on, um, I still felt just like, ah, oh, I'm such a failure. And it's like, no, you knew you were going to do this. Right. And it's like... Uh, but then also physically, I just felt really like sluggish for a little while. And uh, so with the exception, I I, uh, I went out and had some, some coffee with uh, not friend of the show, but mutual acquaintance, Colin Marshall. Um, and uh, and I did have some, some creamer, which apparently I'm not supposed to have, but I... I had some of that the other day. But um, but I, I, think I'm, I think I'm good with sticking with... Uh, with the diet as it yeah. is right now, I might occasionally indulge myself by having like some mashed potatoes with some turkey, and that's basically it. But yeah, I think uh, I think even when the diet's done, there's it's going to be some changes around here. To oh. quote Ben Garant in, in, in a sketch in the state. Well, and the, I don't know the sketch, but the it's one of the best ones ever. No, there absolutely when when it is over. I will have, I feel like, broken a lot of the habits mm-hmm. of, I'm hungry, I'll have a bowl of cereal. You know, I'm hungry, but I don't want to cook something, so I'll just have a bowl of cereal, I'll have some toast. Like, I think a month of not doing that, really, you know, your instinct starts to change. And even in the last few days, my instinct has changed from, I'm hungry, I want this, I can't have it, damn it, I'm pissed, how did I let myself get to this? All right, I guess I'll make myself some food. Like, (laughs) that's usually how it's been going. But then the last few days, it's just, I'm hungry, I'll make myself, you know, some chicken on the stove and that sort of thing. So, um, so it's getting to a much better place. I still, I'm still getting headaches, but that's because I don't, I don't usually eat fast enough when I wake up. I usually let myself go way too long before I eat and... With this, you need to eat a lot mm-hmm. constantly. Well, you mentioned we have a guest. We do. We have a guest who who needs no diet. He is 
as thin as the bird who is his namesake. It, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, <laughs> Matthias Stork. Hello. <laughs> I am speechless. This is uh, wonderful. Yes. <laughs> what a spectacle. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you are a, a, a listener. Yes. So that's loyal uh, listener. Oh, thank you. Damn right. But uh, you were, and you were talking about how you felt uh, nervous. I don't know if you were nervous just being here as a listener, or just uh, you said you were nervous. Uh, that Americans make you nervous in general. Is that <laughs> not necessarily? <laughs> no, just being nervous. That's what I extrapolated <laughs> from what you said. Uh, uh, nervous about being on the show. <laughs> but uh, I hopefully, been, what I, you just witnessed calmed you down a little bit and you realize man these guys are just jackasses it definitely loosened me up okay for sure uh, i have to admit i having someone who is as you say a loyal listener makes me a little nervous too because i feel like i have to like yeah uh i have to live up to whatever you uh think of as the best of the show Exactly, yes. Uh, I have high expectations, that's oh, for sure. Okay. Um, but your lead-in lived up to my expectations. I could I could call <laughs> up Bill Dwyer and get him over here, and that will lead up to... That'll be the best right there, and David and I just won't talk at all. Um, now, I mentioned uh, that, um, you know, like, like David Bowie, you're afraid of Americans, um, <laughs> uh, implying, quite rightly, that you are not yourself American. No, I am not American. Uh, you're 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 from Germany. When I want to ask you before before we get into you, you know, being from Germany in your life and why you're here on the show and all this stuff, uh, I just thought of Tyler mentioning Bill Dwyer. Now, when you are listening in 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 Germany and you're sort of, is it weird that you I guess have this exposure to this incredibly cloistered group of like Los Angeles alternative comedians? Uh, it is. Um, you feel part of that family when you listen to the show every week. Good. Um, it really is yeah. kind of like a family. Isn't yes, it? I agree. That's how I think of it. Yeah, yeah and that is something that uh, on the car ride over here. That was something that I asked you about. Is because you listen to various other film podcasts. Um, I, they're not as good, but how could they be? And but those are just straight up film talk. And ostensibly, that's what we are too. Sometimes. And then like every once in a while. 75% of the time. 75% of the time. Then one in every four shows, I'd say that works out about right. Uh, one in every four shows, we will have on a comic who maybe has seen a movie or two in his life. And that's really all we care about. And then we just uh, talk about whatever. And so, as somebody who started listening to hear movie talk, do you ever do you ever find yourself being like, oh, okay, this is going to be one of those episodes where I guess I'll just... You know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, have something in common with Tyler and David's sense of humor and just laugh the whole time with this person I've never heard of. <laughs> well, not to start handing out backhanded compliments, but I truly appreciate these episodes where you have comics on because they're just uh, different. And I appreciate that because you add uh, a certain variety to your programming. Um, and that is uh, definitely something that I uh, appreciate as a listener. Well, All right. uh, I wasn't fishing for compliments, but I'm I'm not going to toss it back, as it were. <laughs> uh, so, but let, let's, let's. I think it's not quite big enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's get away from talking about us uh, and and talk about you. Okay. Um, now, you uh, well, you came to my attention through Tyler because he sent me the link to a uh, video essay you made called Chaos Cinema. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in two parts, totaling about eighteen minutes. There is Great. now a third part. There is now a third oh. part, which is up uh, at Pressplay. 
IndieWire's blog, Press Play. Uh, I I have not seen the third part. I was unaware that it existed. That's okay. That's fairly recent. The third part, like... Parts one and two are a complete thing. The third part is exactly. a response to people's yes. criticisms. So oh, I can't wait to, can't yeah, wait to watch it. It's that. very interesting as well. Um, and you were also, you didn't, um, I'm sure the listeners are assuming you came all the way here to North Hollywood from uh, just outside of Frankfurt uh, to be <laughs> on the show. But no, you're here because you are studying uh, at UCLA. Can I say that? I can, I can add uh, that. Sure. You, yeah, okay. you can do that. Yeah. Uh, how's, how's that going? It's. Uh, it's wonderful. It's a great experience. It's everything that I uh, ex- hoped it would be. Um, it's very educational, as mm-hmm. it should be. Um, but it's also quite demanding for me yeah. as well. <laughs> uh, had you been to Los Angeles or had you been to the States before last September? Uh, well, I've been to um, Los Angeles before uh, for a day. Okay. Um, when I was in high school, our English teacher took us uh, on a tour through California and Nevada, and uh, San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, basically. And uh, I also studied uh, in Wisconsin for uh, about uh, seven months. Oh, okay. Um, How do you find Wisconsin? Uh, (laughs) I love Wisconsin. I had a great time there. I've only been there a little bit, but I like Milwaukee. It's a cool little city. I've been in Milwaukee once. Ah. (laughs) So just every city once. And then uh, just to test the waters, and then maybe you'll live there for a while, like Los Angeles. <laughs> like Los Angeles, exactly. yes. Have you been to the Wisconsin Dells? Uh, they... No, okay. unfortunately, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure there are those sort of like um, weird, like touristy places in in Germany too. But that's not it, the Wisconsin Dells. As much fun as it can be, is not the kind of place I would want someone from another country to come and like judge America <laughs> by. I do not remember what I've driven. Th- near the wisconsin dells on my way to you know minnesota what are they again you lived near branson missouri i sure did Uh, the wisconsin dells are like branson but a little with a little less to do oh (laughs) wow that's really that's really something it's the the, just the kind of place like a branson or like a myrtle beach south carolina where Mm. like every you, you drive through the city and everywhere there's like these sort of like like you know uh small like uh pers- privately owned like amusement park type things would be like ferris wheels or there will be like a water slide here there's a water oh, all right oh here okay. there's batting cages over here there's go-karts and and then there's you know some huge row of chain restaurants and hotels and then and then somewhere off there they'll have like golf courses and nicer stuff but like the main drag is this just like horribly gaudy like neon it's like neon metal stuff that's been in the sun too long from the be it the the ferris wheels or the <laughs> or the mini golf courses or uh, uh, everything that sounds profoundly depressing <laughs> yeah that, well like branson like branson except yeah. i have a fond fondness in my heart for certain things about branson but yeah there are a lot there's a lot a big part of branson that is depressing and that's what the dells is have you ever been to branson no you, you are missing out have you been to missouri at all uh, no. I hear that St. Louis is the best place on earth. Seriously? Yeah. St. Yeah. Louis is where I'm from. Okay. And it's also where, uh, I mean, a large number of German settlers settled, uh, you know, including the, of course, Anheuser's and the Bushes, who created Anheuser-Busch Brewery, the largest brewery in America. Probably the largest brewery in the world, I think. Maybe one of the reasons why my alma mater uh, sponsors a uh, foreign exchange program with the University of St. Louis. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, I know St. Louis's uh, sister city in Germany is Munich. Munich, okay. 
Um, so I, I do want to, cause, um, cause I've talked with you before about, um, your school a little bit, but, uh, not actually that much. So at UCLA, you are studying film. Uh, yes. And what does that entail for you? Like what kind of class, is it something specific within that, like directing or writing, or is it just kind of a general sort of thing? Right. At UCLA, they have the uh, School of uh, Film, Theater, and Television, and uh, I am part of the uh, CMS program, which is Cinema and Media Studies, Mm -hmm. um, film history, film style. Um, But they also offer, of course, um, programs for directors, screenwriters, editors, cinematographers Mm -hmm. as well. So you're so it really is just more of a sort of a critical studies sort mm-hmm. of thing. Okay. Yes. And what are you uh are you working towards something uh as far as like a career with that or is it just something that you are interested in right now? Uh I would like to work in academia mm-hmm. um later on or just become a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um I have a background in uh foreign language education with an emphasis on film. Mm-hmm. Um from my uh <laughs> days in frankfurt at frankfurt university and uh yeah i would love to go into that direction if that's possible okay well i feel like uh that's a nice transition the well, idea of being academic and teaching people you know it, it would be but i have more questions you've got more okay all right <laughs> I have more questions about being i, I think i've probably been I, I can't think of any specific examples but i think i've probably been maybe somewhat flip about german cinema on the podcast in, in the past because um Compared to some of the other, I guess, like heavy hitters in, in uh, as far as international cinema that we get here in America, we don't get a lot of German cinema. Of course, we were talking beforehand about Fatih Akin. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? Uh, Akin. Uh, Akin. Yeah. Um, and of course, people know Werner Herzog and Vin Wenders and uh, Tom Tykwer. Is that it? Am I saying uh, that Tick-ver. one right? Tykwer. Mm-hmm. All right. And of course, Uwe Boll, who you mentioned yes. beforehand. Um, <laughs> So I there I just named a, a bunch right there but it still seems like um uh Germany doesn't have a presence um uh, in, in terms of international film or or fil- like I said before the films that we get in America as much as say a, a France or or uh, or Japan you know does what's it like growing up uh in uh, around the same time we grew up being a film fan in Germany uh, of German cinema in particular, just, or just, I mean, what, uh, do you, are are more of your touchstones uh, cinematically German, or are they? No, not no? at all. Unfortunately, no. I am. I uh, guess that's. The, I could have just asked that. That's kind of what <laughs> I was getting at the whole time. I am deeply invested in American cinema, and uh, I also have an affinity for French cinema mm-hmm. as well. Um, German cinema. Um, I have to admit, um, I saw um the classics um well vendors of course or fassbender mm-hmm. um but um the recent releases did not uh attract my attention that much however there is one particular um austrian director who's closely associated with uh germany and that is uh, michael haneke mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and uh he is one of my favorite directors and whose work i follow closely um what about the guy who made Downfall? Is he Austrian as well, that director? No, he's German. Oh, he is German. And uh, his name is... I'm blanking on his name right now. You know what's but, really funny? Uh, I don't like talk about my jobs that much, but I actually worked directly with him on a thing once that I can't talk about. Is it Oliver Hirschbiegel? Yes, Could that be. is, that is okay. his name. 
very very nice man. And maybe off air, I will tell you that story. I maybe I should have brought it up because <laughs> sure. I can't talk about it on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I guess yeah. What were so what were uh, were your childhood and into adolescent sort of like growing as a film fan films the same as mine then um possibly i mean when i was younger i um i basically watched a lot of action films um when i was younger um my uncle introduced me to a fair amount of them um my uh, die hard for instance john mctiernan films Mm -hmm. or um bullet um steve mcqueen Mm -hmm. um Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, a lot of westerns. Um, my dad introduced me to Sergio Leone films. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, well, basically my favorite film of all time is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly mm-hmm. because I have a very fond memory of that film. And uh, other than that, I have to admit that uh, when I was about uh, 10 or 11 years old, I um, had a predilection for Michael Bay films. Yes, at that age. Um <laughs> The Rock used to be one of my favorite films when I was uh, about 11, I think. In your defense, that's the idea. I mean, that's yeah. and that, that's, like, that's the key core demographic there. And, right. and right, right now, I'm four years older than you, which at our age now doesn't mean much. But mm-hmm. the difference between 11 and 15 oh, yeah. is right. actually pretty big. That, that is true. Um, but you know what? I actually also still liked The Rock when it came out. I don't like it anymore. And I know it still has its defenders. Uh, I, I'm sort of one of them just from a from a script standpoint like the characters are stronger and more clearly defined than in many of his and less you know cartoon characters uh than in some of his other films like it's got a very strong sympathetic villain in ed harris mm-hmm. uh and you've got yeah, the yeah. dynamic between sean connery and nicholas cage and that's but both of them are very strong without seeming too obvious um of course, it still has the Michael Bayisms, in even in the way they interact with each other. But it might just—it might just be the quality of the acting. I mean, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage are certainly better than Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett and Shia LaBeouf and a robot, you know. And so it might be a function of and that. You're referring to Megan Fox there. <laughs> I've got well be, done. I think I might be the twenty millionth person to make that joke. Um, but uh, but yeah, and so I think it might be a function of that. Uh, I see a lot more flaws with it now than I did then, but it used to be one of my favorites at the time. Yeah, I, 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 we talked recently when we were talking about Pearl Harbor about um, how Michael Bay seems to sympathize or at least relate more to machinery than to people. Mm-hmm. And yes. so um, you are right that, that things like The Rock and Armageddon do have um, more clearly defined characters, but I also feel like maybe that's because he was still knew enough that he was on more of a leash and like was following the formula and like this is the script you have to you have to follow and and now that he's allowed to sort of make his um you know for good or bad his more auteuristic films uh he can he can dispense with people being human beings or being the thing that's supposed to be interesting anymore now real quick i was talking about the rock you brought armageddon into it i don't defend armageddon because i feel like that that has such a ross that has such a large cast that he has no choice i think but to and it's the, you know the screenwriters as well has no choice but to define each one by one thing instead of uh you know a myriad of of character traits as in uh the rock because the rock really only has 
four or five main characters. Armageddon has several, um, yeah. and only and some actors like I'd say Steve Buscemi um, managed to turn it into something. But uh, by and large, uh, I feel like Armageddon is very much and the Michael Bay that the, we know of now. And I'll I'll ask Matthias this in a second. But if you were to put in front of me DVDs of The Rock and Armageddon, so you have to watch one, I would watch Armageddon. Hmm. I would definitely watch watch The Rock because I mean Armageddon. I know that as cheap and manipulative as the ending is, I'm still going to well up at the end of it, and that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be fine for me. That that's that's more. That's more of a reason to get into it for me. It actually works emotionally on me, even though I know it's doing it in a way that is, uh, like I said, cheap. Which one do you prefer, The Rock or Armageddon? Uh, I'd have to say I prefer The Rock. Um, but Armageddon has Steve, is it Buscemi or Buscemi? I, I, I believe right. you pointed out it was Buscemi no, on I one think of the recent I, I, I think I read recently that he doesn't really care. Okay, he doesn't really it's care. It's one of those things like um, Stephen Tobolowsky, who's also been on the on the podcast, talks about different people within his own family pronounce Tobolowsky, Tobolowsky, or mm-hmm. whatever, uh, in different ways. And so I think that's something I was reading that, like, I think Steve Buscemi also goes by Buscemi or Buscemi or Buscemi or Buscemi. Okay. Oh, my. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, but Armageddon does have him. It does have him, and it features a scene with him riding on an atom bomb screaming. Uh, what does he say? I don't. I only remember the German phrasing of it, which means basically a no to atom bombs. Uh, that's what he keeps yelling repeatedly in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder, is that... I can't remember what he says in the movie. I don't remember, but he's he, he has, turns he's like, to. Did you ever see that? Uh, you guys didn't see that one. And uh, he it's referenced Doctor Strange Love, of course. Right, right, but he turns to he turns to um, the uh, ship captain and he says, "Hey, sharp," um, and then no to atom bombs. I guess uh, I'll say this: <laughs> that doesn't ring a bell. I don't <laughs> see. I only own no to atom well, bombs. I only own the videotape. Okay, I did not. I do not own it on DVD, which is why, and obviously, it's only in German, unfortunately. Right. But uh, I can quote you to rock in, Eng- in American English. If he's quoting, if he's referencing Doctor Strangelove, wouldn't he just be saying "yeehaw"? Isn't that what? Yeah, yeah. That's says? that would be the reference. That then. that was. Yeah, I don't remember him saying anything, but just you know. So did uh, did someone? Uh, did maybe someone it got. Think l- that it, that Germans wouldn't know what yeehaw. Do you know that Probably. yeehaw is like a uh, cowboy thing? Yeehaw? I mean, no one in Germany would ever say that. Uh, <laughs> but so. is it recognized as a thing that cowboys say in Germany? Uh, or would that be, is, it's not a reference that would... I I believe so, but okay. uh, it... Mm, Hmm, I don't know, but uh, it, it certainly got lost in translation. I believe. <laughs> I'm a big. F- I love the idea that yeehaw, which is a very American gung ho. Let's get them. Turns to no, <laughs> to, at, no to nuclear warfare. Thank you very much. The delivery of the line was much more rhythmic and engaging than I'm sure. Uh, yes, yeah. my <laughs> rough translation um, could imply. Now, again, this uh, discussion of Michael Bay would be a perfect way to get into the topic, and yet, but we're not going to. No, because I want to ask about. Um, uh, I mean, you took film classes. Uh, th- this UCLA isn't your first film school experience right uh, you've taken film okay not necessarily i took film classes at my alma mater uh mm-hmm. good university frankfurt but my major was in uh foreign language education english right. and french okay um but um i made an effort to combine it with film so i wrote about film and i wrote how you can teach film the educational aspects of film um that was very important to me okay and still is well for the film classes you took and and you know let me know if i'm coming across as 
I don't know, patronizing, but I really am curious about okay. about film education and, and film fandom in in, in Germany. Uh, what is what is taught uh, in 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 German film classes? Uh, basically, uh, general introductions uh, to the art of film. Um, mm-hmm. I, I assume that is very basic, um, but um, I took uh, classes on Hitchcock. Um, which were offered. I took classes on uh, French cinema, um, uh, the French New Wave, the Nouvelle Vague. Um, I took um, a class on um, the uh, New Wave in America as mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah, basically just the usual um, topics, I assume. Although one of my friends who is currently going to that school uh, told me that he is currently taking a uh, pornography class. Um, yeah. Did he high five you right after that? And it was on Skype. Oh, okay. Uh, so right. probably Skype a yeah, mental oh. high five. Oh no, I got, I got like hand grease on the screen. Uh, I guess I was, I was wondering. I mean, we Tyler and I went to film school, and of course, in right. that school, we learned about all sorts of cinema from all over the world. Mm-hmm. World, but obviously, there is, you know, no attempt to shy over and cl- or not that's not a word I'm, that's not a phrase uh, shy away shy away from or uh, it, uh the um sort of golden ages of american mm-hmm. cinema you know you talk about the film noirs you talk about the late 60s and early 70s and you talk about all 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 that stuff uh it's you know there's a lot of it so i was just right. wondering is there i mean uh, obviously you know in the silent era german cinema was uh, one of, I mean, it was one of the world leaders it, is I imagine that's German expressionism. Yes, definitely yeah. is uh, widely taught as well. Um, but again, I ventured into the film department on my own, right? Uh, and basically sat in these classes. And uh, then um, the English department um, equally offered um, classes on film, um, but with a more uh, cultural studies approach: um, cinema of David Cronenberg hmm. uh, or uh, Todd Browning, hmm. um, the Western genre. And the role of the frontier in American culture. Um. It is interesting because I, uh, I, I've always, and this might be this might be wrong, but I've, I've always thought that film was to a certain extent like mathematics. Uh, don't get me wrong; one I have a slight understanding for, the other none at all. <laughs> but uh, listeners, I'll let you figure out which one is which. <laughs> but um, I'll let you put two and two together. What? Well done. Anyway, so, uh, it, but the, the the fact that they're both so universal, um, you know, there are language barriers, there are cultural barriers, uh, but, you know, math is always the same, and I feel like, and film isn't always the same, it's certainly interpretations of film and, and all that sort of thing, but, you know, in the, in the history of film classes that I took, it's basically an examination of, other cultures mm-hmm. and American when that played a big role. So, you know, history of, <clears throat> you know, taking a history of film class means you're going to get French, Russian, German, British, American, uh, and then Polish, Ita- Polish got, uh, Italian. Yeah. And so they all, ki- and, and certainly, uh, you know, Asian and, and, and African. Yeah. And Indian. they all get, they all get brought in, uh, especially, you know, in between, you know, 1905 and 1935, uh, just every, 
every country had something to contribute. And so – and part of me feels like, well, since – in what I'm watching, since there's no – doesn't seem to be any bias towards America – I I feel as though this is pretty objective in understanding what each country has contributed to the story of film. And so it always seemed to me that if I were studying in another country, it would look very much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it occurred to me that once you get past like World War II and then you start getting into film noir and – I mean Westerns were around before World War II, but you start getting into like uh, – big spectacle musicals and things that are uniquely American. And then with those, we of would course, spend, we should say we're, we've mentioned film noir a couple of times and, uh, you know, film, two of the biggest film noir directors would be Billy Wilder and Fritz Lang. Oh, right. Who, yeah. Germans. Uh, yeah. Germans. <laughs> and, and so, and so this, I, so in my, in my history of, of film class, we got some, uh, some explanation of film noir, but it was also sort of assumed that we already knew what it was mm-hmm. because and and certainly westerns and musicals because being American that's part of our culture um, like e- everyone knows who Peter Laurie is, even if they like specifically as Igor or the shifty eyed guy if for no other reason than because of Warner Brothers cartoons, and that's a function of of our culture, even if people have never seen you know, Casablanca or M or the Maltese Falcon. And so I guess my, my question for you, it's not unlike David's is when it came time for you to study Westerns and, and things that are somewhat uniquely American. Uh, I don't know how did, because it's not part of your culture, it's not ingrained. Did you find it more interesting, less interesting, more did you have to put more effort into really grasping it? That's actually a good question that I uh, have never pondered uh, quite in detail. But um, I'm not necessarily sure whether it is true that American culture is not as much ingrained in uh, European culture anymore. Because I was basically weaned on American culture. Mm-hmm. Um even though my parents made no effort to expose me to it, it was just there. Um, and my, I mean, my parents, um, their film tastes were, uh, and are, um, they watch a lot of German television. They watch a lot of uh, German films as well. Um, but, uh, predominantly, um, Germans tend to watch, uh, American films. And, uh, I mean, my parents knew John Wayne. They mm-hmm. love John Wayne. So die. Um, John Ford as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a certain uh, mainstream cultural iconography um, that we were all exposed to, I, I believe. <laughs> Speaking of German television, when you were a kid, did you ever watch a show called Ravioli? No. Okay, there was some show. It might have even been older. It was like some weird uh, German like sitcom that was about like the parents would leave the kids alone for like weeks at a time and give them only cans of ravioli to eat which is like awful but that was the premise for this sitcom and my german teacher in high school would i'm guessing on days she didn't really feel like teaching just mm-hmm. show us episodes of ravioli and we were supposed <laughs> to like 
follow along with. I have to assume that show couldn't have lasted very long, right? (laughs) I I don't know how much. How many seasons can you squeeze out of that premise? I know that you know it's not a traditional American season of twenty-two episodes, but (laughs) even then, and it's not necessarily awful child rearing. That's how I was brought up as well. It's not not ravioli, but uh, potatoes. (laughs) All right, so um, at best a miniseries. I could see a miniseries. This has been fascinating, but I don't want the entire episode to be about you know. Watching films in Germany, even and though how totally, you are different than us. No, even though it totally could be because I'm fascinated by it. Um, not Germany. If we had a, you know, um, Ukrainian in a, co- on in a couple of weeks, we'll have an Australian guest. It'll be very there exciting. Go. There we go. Um, but uh, we, we want to get into the topic, uh, you know, proper. You, 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 you did. We, we mentioned your uh, video essays, uh, mm-hmm. which are available where uh, the Indie Wire blog, Press Play. Okay. Well, and we'll, uh, do that again at the end of the show. Uh, Chaos Cinema. So I want you, I'm going to toss, toss, I'm going to hand the floor over to you. That's still not right. I'm going to give you the floor. Yield the floor. Yield the floor. floor. You have the con, as it were. Um, (laughs) uh, and, um, I want you to tell us what, uh, your sort of thesis is, what Chaos Cinema is. So let's get into it, shall we? Chaos Cinema. Okay, and uh, also how how you came like how you came to this theory, and what made you decide to to make these videos because it's mm-hmm. you know must have taken a great deal of time and effort. It did take uh, a lot of time and effort actually. Um, well, and I should probably preface this by uh, stating uh, that I am by no means an expert. I'm a student of film. And uh, the video essays basically were uh, my attempt to uh, contribute something to um, the film discourse. And well, first off, the fact that you're a student of film makes you closer to being an expert than the majority of the people on the internet giving their opinions on movies. <laughs> well, still. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a... Uh, and uh, I'm also by no means the first person to uh, write about... Um, chaos in action movies it's quite it's a topic um that has been um a uh defining aspect of um the uh, film discourse on the internet and also in uh, certain academic publications um i could just point out point to uh david boardwell who is mm-hmm. a well-known scholar who also maintains a blog on the internet uh who's been writing extensively about it and on whose work um i also build in my video essay um and there are other uh, critics who pointed to messy action sequences, um, and uh, some of them uh, took issue with it, um, as did I. Um, but there has never been, uh, in my view, a um, a work that um, exemplifies um, these uh, messy action sequences um, so that people can actually follow the logic of the argument. So I figured um, it might lend itself to a video essay. And um, I've been uh, following um, one of my favorite, probably my favorite film uh, and television critic, Matt Zoller Zeitz, um, who um, currently administers uh, press play over at IndieWire. And um, he's a video essay extraordinaire. And uh, I uh, discovered his video essays uh, on the internet. Uh, I watched them and I specifically appreciated this series on Wes Anderson and uh, Michael Mann. And uh, he recently published uh, a series on Terrence Malick, which is fantastic. And I figured, okay, um, I could probably try and make some video essays. Um, so I did that for my thesis uh, in college, 
where I basically um, focused on film education and how a film is uh, taught in uh, German schools. And I made a couple of videos, and I figured um, it's a lot of fun to do that. And uh, then I started um, um, basically compiling video footage for the video essay on Chaos Cinema. Um, and uh, that's how it all began, basically. And so what is... What is uh Mat- Matthias, yes. I, I need to I need to fight to say that it is the, the way. correct pronunciation. Okay, good. Um, let me ask you this. Yes. What is chaos cinema? Okay. Uh, let I me, will tell let you. me ask you this. Do most people say Matthias? <laughs> do most Americans say yeah. Matthias? Yes, That's they where, do. And I don't know why. For Matthew. Matthias. I guess, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think if I've ever known anyone named Matthias. Why I would think that's the right way. Well, it looks. I mean, it's M A T T H I A S. Looks. Like I see Matthias. no other choice but and Matthias, and that's okay. That's okay. okay, I don't mind. Sorry, <laughs> just just curious, Matthias. What is chaos cinema? Uh, basically, in my view, chaos cinema um, uh, is a uh, filmmaking style um, of uh, the which I would in for basically uh tied to the 21st century um and which is entirely geared towards uh overwhelming you with images and sounds in order to immerse you uh in spectacle um and i specifically tied that to the action film and is this oh go ahead no you go ahead is this something um tell me to go ahead you go ahead that you want to go ahead. David, not in front of the guest. <laughs> it's okay. Um, You've been doing it off mic for a long time, so. Uh. <laughs> so, um, and and your video essay is not merely documentation of that, but it is also critical of that. Yes. Um, is this... I mean, you said that you've read various critics uh, who've mentioned this. Did you first sort of take your cues from from them, or did you notice this style of of editing and cinematography mm-hmm. uh on your own and say i don't really care for this and then you found critics who you know who you agreed with um or i don't know like how did you i don't know i'm trying to think of a way that doesn't sound mean uh oh, not, be mean. Not, it's not, okay. to, not to you i just mean because it, the the video essay is not objective. I mean, you clearly say it is, this is not a good thing. Let's I, give some examples before we get into it. Yes, please do. Okay. I'm taking a polemical stance in the video essay, which is not balanced, um, and it is definitely a, a piece that is designed to uh, provoke responses. Um, yes, <laughs> it's not matter of fact. It is very subjective. And, um, well, um, I mentioned before that I... Um, was quite fond of Michael Bay when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then at, at some point, for some odd reason, I noticed uh, that I did not like his films anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, since David usually refers to himself as a structuralist or a formalist, <laughs> and I also uh, am quite, um, I have an affinity for that as well. So whenever I watch a film, I this is what I'm, mostly drawn towards film style, film aesthetics. And, um, yeah, I noticed that, I mean, it was just, the editing was, uh, quite messy. The, uh, staging of the action scenes was, uh, 
quite random. And, uh, I mean, my reference points were, um, for lack of a better word, classical examples of um, staged action, where it could follow everything, where I felt that the diegetic space was clearly defined. And um, so uh, that certainly was one of the um, uh, factors that prompted me to explore uh, the subject matter further. So I I, I will... um argue i guess a bit with you here in your polemical stance because i Please do agree do. that this is a uh, i agree with a lot of what uh, your your um the things you laid out that this is a fairly recent thing and that for the most part it is i, mean, I recently saw uh, not some reason when it came out i saw real steel mm-hmm. the robot boxing movie and i um i think um it seemed like a lot of people liked it maybe a little more than i did uh but i could feel just with the way it was cut together and the amount of noise at mm-hmm. all times i felt like this is being designed to keep me from being able to reflect on it mm-hmm. and both from understanding in the physical space that you're talking about mm-hmm. but also just keeping me from being able to actually think about what's happening mm-hmm. because it's so assaultive and i and i i don't like that but i also think there is an argument to be made um that this, that's not the only motive for this kind of editing in in yes. a fight scene i think there is um uh, something to be said for uh, impressionism in mm-hmm. in action. It's not something. It's not the genre you usually see um, uh, impressionism applied to. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, and I think the sort of a champion example of my cause here will be Paul Greengrass. Mm-hmm. In most of his films, I think he does it. Um, I mean, going back to even the uh, more slightly more subtle use of it in, in Bloody Sunday, mm-hmm. but you know, through uh, the Bourne Ultimatum, which I will admit gets maybe a little too. Uh, uh, un- unmoored from re- reality, <laughs> right. um, uh, but uh, I-, I think he is—he um, is not—he is not using it to keep you from thinking. He is using it in—he he is wielding it as uh, an impressionist painter wields his his brush in uh, just giving you the sort of idea mm-hmm. of because I, I can't remember what. Uh, because it's been because you were supposed to backstory you were supposed to be on the show a while ago until mm-hmm. I got sick we had to reschedule so I I haven't watched the video essays super recently mm-hmm. uh, but I believe you did show some examples of like older style action I can't yes. remember what you showed but the one that pops in my mind is the Manchurian Candidate was that in your it was not in my video okay. essay uh, the 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 fight scene a Manchurian Candidate um, which is like has like Frank Sinatra doing like judo chops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it is uh, this idea of being able to uh, understand the diegetic space. To, mm-hmm. Was a, a, a phrase you used. It's um, it's it's all there, and so it is um, dramatic. That it's a dramatically satisfying fight scene in that sense, mm-hmm. but it's not as um, uh, propulsive, maybe, or as mm-hmm. visceral mm-hmm. as as. Um, uh, Matt Damon rolling up a magazine and you know beating the guy with it, uh, even though you don't see every blow in that one. At least you hear everything. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so that, I guess that's my argument uh, against a certain part of your stance. Mm-hmm. That this is, uh, I mean, it seems like you're taking up the argument. That this is necessarily a bad thing. It is well. In the I I did include. Um, a, a film which I uh, deemed a rather uh, positive example for the use of chaotic technique, um, The Hurt Locker. Um, mm-hmm. But let's briefly hark back to um, the overarching argument, which in, in part three, I lay out um, 
quite clearly, I think, um, the um, basically the shifts that occurred from, let's say, a classical presentation of action, where uh, filmmakers clearly define the diegetic space. There are clear spatial relations um, that you can follow the action cogently. Um, this is usually built on continuity editing, the system of uh, basically uh, production practices that was... Um, that came to prominence during the golden age of Hollywood. And then um, there a shift occurred, which um, David Bordwell characterized as intensified continuity, which in his words is just traditional continuity amped up. <laughs> so everything is just faster. It's more compact. It's basically um, the information that is communicated with um, classical continuity just occurs much more rapidly. Um, so you get an idea of action, and that certainly has its merits. Um, but then there are films which completely abandon um, these techniques uh, or use them to the extent that um, we are not in the realm of continuity anymore. We go beyond continuity to a, to a certain uh, stage where we cannot tell where we are within the action. And uh, I find that um, it is not my preferred mode of presentation for action although i agree with you it definitely has its merits in certain films but then again um i'd like to cite a an example um bad los angeles for instance um the war film is all about chaos and chaos in the action sequences um and i agree with that and it should be staged chaotically however if it becomes too messy and you cannot relate to the characters in the action space anymore, I find that defective. Um, Saving Private Ryan is usually uh, cited as an example of chaotic action sequences, but I disagree with that, even though it has certain discontinuous moments in it. Overall, the staging of the action is clear. It's clearly defined. You know exactly where the characters are at the beach. Um, you know where they go. Um, you can basically easily retrace their steps on that beach. I, I yeah I, I agree with that. Um, but isn't there uh, again? I'll uh, I mean I'll, I'll I'll take up the other position. Isn't there something to be said for being able to get the emotion of the characters without going through them? I mean, if it's impressionistic, mm -hmm. it's cutting out the middleman. You're feeling what the character is feeling, and you don't have to like see them and identify with them in order in order to feel it. If it's if it's done right, mm -hmm. it's definitely a good argument. And uh, I mean. But we should define Impressionism first. Basically, Impressionism is, um, as I understand it, from French Impressionism in the uh, late 20s or 30s, um, where uh, it was uh, an avant-garde movement, however, operating within the uh, constraints of uh, mainstream French cinema at the time, where they, the filmmakers uh, sought to explore um, subjectivity of certain characters. Um, I'm not necessarily sure whether we can apply that to modern action the born uh, supremacy is a good example i think because there are certain scenes where you clearly know that it is the vision of jason Bourne, mm -hmm. and i think that is great however there are other scenes which occur outside of the pov of jason Bourne, which are staged as chaotically and there does not seem to be a difference within the aesthetic um and so everything is staged impressionistically and uh, I'm not necessarily sure whether the argument of subjectivity is always um, applicable in these instances. But I definitely agree that it certainly has its merits to, to be closer in the action. Um, 
because that is what chaos cinema tries to do it tries to situate us right behind the characters in the action right in the middle of the action space it does not grant us an opportunity to observe the space and move us close into the space takes us back from the space it just basically um plunges us in that space and I think uh, when I first uh, watched the videos, I remember thinking this is a, this is a very interesting examination of the subject, um, and I found myself initially disagreeing, but then I watched them again, and I found myself agreeing more with, ex- but with some exceptions, and invariably for myself, the exceptions were always. They always had to do with context, and context Mm -hmm. could mean any number of things. For example, Saving Private Ryan, first off, I think Spielberg is a... I'm going to go out on a limb. I think he's a good director. uh, (laughs) Really? And he's just... uh, And so he understands... He he knows his way around an action sequence. But what's more is, there's a lot of chaos in that sequence, Mm -hmm. but it's in the context of war, and it is the context of, well, we can't go backwards. Backwards Mm -hmm. is the ocean. And that would be silly. We need to always go forwards. They have a very clear mission, which is to go forwards mean uh, to go forward means we could get that's where the death is coming from. We need to work through the death and that then we will have achieved our goal. And so there's a great deal of context that I think helps um helps the viewer see that. And again, it is Spielberg who does a very good job choreographing action, but also and I know that I know that you know David is the is the structuralist, structuralist, and I'm more of the character guy, and so I tend to cling to that. And it popped up a lot in last week's episode as well. I used to apologize for how much of a character person I was, <laughs> and as time has gone on, honestly, in pre- in preparation for this episode, I've started thinking like character can be such an important anchor. When talking about film in general, I mean, last we were last week we were talking about when you when you combine genres um, and do it in a way that audiences may not be used to. If you have a character guiding us through it, and if we're locked into that person, then it doesn't really matter what's happening around us. It can be something. It can be a sci-fi comedy. It who knows? As long as we're locked into that character then that's all that matters. I think that's one of the reasons, by the way, that I think that uh, the show Lost worked so well. Because they, it was, and you, and David, you and I approached Lost from a different point of, uh, different point of view. You were very much on board with like plot and mystery, and I was on board with character. But I think without such strong, no, clearly was, drawn characters, I mean, you are, you I, were, was a, I was a, more of a, a theme guy than anything else. Right. But, and, but anyway, go on. And I think both plot and I, I character just don't worked be in with that. Of those people who were like just wanted all the mysteries of the island. Uh, I, I, I'm, that's valid, but that just wasn't me, right? Uh, but it wasn't I? But you weren't you weren't someone who like locked into character quite as much as I did. And I think I think is certainly with the with the uh, last episode. In which case, you could say that maybe they latched onto character because they're like that's the only thing we've got now. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, but it worked because you had clearly defined characters that you could go along with and at all times you could latch on to them and use them as your anchor. And in the case of movies in which chaos cinema works for me, 
in which I don't mind. It doesn't mm-hmm. bother me. And th- again, this might just be me because there's plenty of people that can com- complain about the Bourne films. There's plenty of people. I know Jim Emerson is one that complains about uh, the Dark Knight and Batman Begins. And I know pl- I know a lot of people who complain about the action in those films as being a little too chaotic. Um, but Jason Bourne and Batman, we have such a strong sense for who they are mm-hmm. that even when some when something's going crazy, <laughs> this is going to sound weird. It's like we ha- we get a strong enough sense of who they are and how much control they have over a situation that it's almost like they're going to get me through this. I may not know I what's agree. going on, but they do. And so I think we're much willing to go along with that than say, I'm s- we're going to be picking on Mike- Michael Bay a lot today, um, <laughs> as opposed to, say, Sam Witwicky from the Transformers films, who... Shia LaBeouf aside, I think he's a good actor, and I think he plays the part well. It's not a strong enough character. Nothing about that character implies... I was talking with my friend uh, earlier today. Nothing about that character implies, this guy's a survivor. (laughs) He's going to be okay. You know? um, It's not an iconic character. Not an iconic character. Um, And so... And the fact that, you know, the, the... the most iconic character in the Transformers films is uh, Optimus Prime, but they do such a good job of making him seem like a feasible machine that when it comes to fast editing, it just looks like a machine and there's no real character there, uh, I think. And so, so that's why it doesn't work in that and why it does work in something, again, like those are franchise films. We are given plenty of time of uh, plenty of, you know, we've got like, 10, 20 minutes, 30 minutes at a time where there is no action in which we're getting to know the character. And so in getting to know the character, getting to know the story, that's where context comes in. And we are, and that can be a a surprising, surprisingly stabilizing force Mm -hmm. in a chaotic situation. Whereas if it's something like Battle LA, which by the way, I didn't see, Mm -hmm. uh, but people really don't like it. uh, (laughs) That one, it just, they just throw, the context is, like chaos is the context that's mm-hmm. the constant yes and while part of me has a certain degree of admiration for doing something as ballsy as that you can do it better in a movie say like black hawk down but even then that provides context and it's the context of war well um okay so we've talked about the things where we disagree with you let's <laughs> let's talk about the the directors or the films or the examples um that do that where we are where we are in agreement that- i am mostly in agreement with you by the way at this point uh, just uh, I probably didn't uh, say that because you don't often get a Jason Bourne or a Batman. It's mostly car- disposable protagonists mm-hmm. who cannot carry us through the the chaos. So we talked we've talked about Michael Bay, and I'm sure he'll probably come up again. Um, you also in your video essay, um, you know what? I haven't seen either of these. W- was it Martin Campbell's Casino Royale or was it Mark Forster's Quantum of Solace that you... It was definitely Quantum of Solace. Okay. Um, <laughs> you gotta see Casino Royale, dude. Yeah, it's I'm, very it's good. It's not ever gonna happen. I just don't care. You're a jerk. <laughs> it is fantastic. All you right. can see it. <laughs> it's the one James Bond... I, I like other James Bond movies, but it's the one that I take seriously as a movie. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, in any case, Quantum of Solace. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Forster, whom we we know from uh, Monsters Ball and from Finding Neverland, not a kite runner, uh, right? Stran- Stranger than fiction, Stranger uh, than fiction, oh, him too. Yeah, yeah. Um, none of those, by the way. Like you don't look at that filmography and say, that's, that's, clearly, this guy should do a James Bond. Film. That's what I'm saying. And so I'm wondering, I, is the action in 
Karnosawa is cut the way it is because it, maybe as a way of covering up that Mark Porter doesn't know what he's doing in making an action sequence? <laughs> well, I, um, I read a few articles about um, Quantum of Solace, and apparently uh, Daniel Craig, uh, who worked with him on a film, uh, recommended him. Um, or I could be. But then again, Mark Forster brought on the second unit director from the Bourne films to stage the action so it's it is very apparent that um it is sort of a replica of the born aesthetic right. um which was uh, quite in vogue at that point uh and which it still is um the quibble that i have with um quantum assaults and i selected the uh, opening action sequence uh the uh iconic um bond action intro um as my example for the video essay. And uh, you mentioned character, uh, Tyler. And um, the Bond character, even though we know him, we know him from a lot of films, he's an iconic character, um, I felt that the opening action sequence did not do him any justice. Mm -hmm. Because usually, um, all the other uh, action sequences carefully build towards the revelation of Bond and uh, revealing his iconicism. Quantum of Solace just throws us into the action immediately. Um, we do not see Bond. It's just it's uh, it's very incoherently staged. Um, there is a lot of sound, and the sound to me, um, I do not have a very uh, good sound setup, unfortunately. Um, but I was under the impression that it was not distinctly. Uh, rendered it, it was not differentiated to the point where it could tell okay this is why they put a sound cue here and this is why they put a sound cue here it was just all uh, very overwhelming and it was uh, rapidly edited um and uh the shots themselves if you slow it down if you uh, they're quite artistically composed <laughs> some of them uh, but you don't register anything in that opening sequence and um to me action i mean again this is just my own subjective um, uh, view of action cinema. But action is about physical feats. It's about um, physicality. It's about characters leaping uh, across uh, uh, houses. It's about characters running away from cars. And I feel um, more involved in these action sequences if I can actually see the characters do it. And that's why Casino Royale works out so well. Yes. I mean, so many of those action sequences. Martin Campbell directed mm -hmm. that, right? And, and he also done directed Golden GoldenEye. Eye. Yeah, which is one, of, which is my second favorite Bond film, by the way. Um, and uh, you know the the whole uh, parkour sequence, which inspired by B thirteen, which I which I didn't see, but uh, as we all know from. Uh, Punisher Warzone. I'm no fan of parkour and enjoyed watching that guy get blown up by uh, a missile uh, midair. But uh, but done well as it is in that, you know, it takes a really sure hand to know when to cut, when to get to a close up, and a sequence like that. What's interesting is much like much like uh, the Indiana Jones films, and this. I'm sorry. I'm going to go back to character, but. If an action sequence is done well, or if it's done, r not necessarily right, but if it's done a certain kind of right, it can reveal just as much about character as anything before. And so, 
when we see, I'll go to the French Connection too. I remember when I first saw, not the French Connection too. I'm sorry. I'll go to the yes, French Connection the, as well. Um, I never saw the sequel. I didn't either. It didn't. Oh. It, it sounds ridiculous, especially since the first one's based on a true story, and the second one they take a character that exists and then takes put them in a ridiculous <laughs> Have you cer- seen circumstance. Both of them? Uh, I've seen the first one. My dad discouraged me from seeing the second one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and so I remember not liking the first. French Connection and not understanding why it swept the Oscars that year. I'm like, this is just one long chase film. How did Gene Hackman, who's an actor I like, and I think he does a good job in it, I was like, how did he win Best Best Actor? He's not given a lot to do except run. And then I was like, and then as I got older, I saw the film again, and first off, I respect the action a great deal, but in the character, I realized that's the character. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the expression on his face. It's how much he, the actor, commits to what the character is committing to. And when we see Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark just never give up and just never get... Admittedly, to give up means to die when you when you are on the front of that truck. But still, just constantly working to see how he can, make, how he can survive and win. Mm-hmm. Not merely survive because it could be I just jump on the jump to the side and all right at least I'm not dead that's that's right. pretty good but he wants to survive and beat the Nazis and so the choices he makes within the action sequence tells us a lot about him mm-hmm. same as that the parkour sequence in Casino Royale like little things like the uh, little flippy guy that he's uh, chasing after and he slips in this little uh, unfinished part of the wall and then Bond (laughs) bursts through the wall. It tells us first off that Bond, he doesn't have any time for bullshit. And it also (laughs) tells us about this Bond versus the other Bonds. Like this is one a little bit closer to Sean Connery, a little bit more brute force, not quite as uh, sleek. Yes. And just, and when you think about that like a good action sequence it it adds to the larger story while also being informed by the story that it's a part of and that's if it's done well as opposed to a uh, friend of the show Jason Eakin saw Quantum of Solace I was saying I- I'm thinking of seeing that he goes don't see it and I was like why it looked it looked okay he goes don't see it it's a bad action movie and it's and he explained that the action sequences seem to be completely free of context and that they come out of nowhere. True. And he described, I'm sure, I, I think he was being hyperbolic, but what do I know? I haven't seen the film where Bond like is checking into a hotel, checks in successfully, and then someone comes in to kill him. And I don't think he's even out of the lobby. True. Well, no, he is out of the lobby. He's, okay. uh, he's up in his room, but okay. uh, apparently, yes. Uh, I mean, we want, why do we watch Bond films? We watch Bond films because we care about the character, because we know the character is smart, the mm-hmm. character is astute, and the character figures um, out the further course of the story by um, obtaining information uh, that uh, seems uh, unreachable at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, Quantum of Solace is all about uh, trying not to get killed. Um, no. But uh, I agree with your assessment of character in the action film because, uh, to me, in action, this is one of the structuralist principles uh, of the genre that um, the uh, basically um, challenges that you encounter are literalized. You have to overcome them physically, um, and that's how you define a character in action cinema. And um, uh, for uh, the opening sequence of Casino Royale, which is, uh, to me, entirely different from Quantum of Solace because – it takes time to establish Bond as a character by 
utilizing uh, the properties of cinema, staging, uh, blocking, framing, um, light, sound, all that to highlight and emphasize the character. There is, um, at the beginning of the action scene, um, when we see the... um, the uh, he's carrying a bond, uh, uh, no, a bomb, I believe, or he has codes to a bomb. At, at least he's running away from Bond. Mm-hmm. Campbell turns the camera; it's a long medium shot, and he lingers on Bond for a few seconds, and then suddenly Bond turns, boom, and then we have the music kick in, and uh, Bond is on the run. Mm-hmm. That is perfect. And then there is another scene where Bond is running up a crane. Again, yeah. medium shot of Bond. A few seconds, he runs up the crane. We are able to look into his face. Sweaty, full of commitment. That is our character right there. It's almost as if it follows the thought process of, holy shit, James Bond is running up a crane. What must that be like? Oh, it's like this. Exactly. Uh, we talked. Uh, By the way, I didn't think that wasn't my well, thought as yes, I was watching it. That's basically the idea yeah. that informs that sequence. Anyone who saw the movie with me will know I actually screamed it out in <laughs> the theater. Holy shit, he's going off a crane! Um, we talked on, it came up on our 250th episode with Mike and Bill. Um, Great episode. Uh, thank oh, you. thank you. Um, Tom Cruise's performance in Mission Impossible 3. I have yet to see Ghost Protocol, but mm-hmm. I think... Uh, would you would cons- would you consider J.J. Abrams' Mission Impossible Three a, a a good action film, non chaotic? Uh, um, again, you, that was a good phrasing because um, I mean I have to admit there are certain chaotic films where I think uh, chaotic sequences are handled quite uh, adeptly and they mm-hmm. add to the experience of the film. And Mission Impossible Three, I mean. There are certain sequences that can be chaotic, others not. So to define a film as totally chaotic, um, except for perhaps Battle Los Angeles. That was a mess. Um, <laughs> but no, Mission Impossible 3, I think, has uh, quite uh, judiciously staged action sequences, which I liked a lot. Um, the bridge scene uh, mm-hmm. has certain chaotic moments, yeah. uh, but they do not detract from the action at all, yeah. I think. Uh, you can definitely feel the impact when that uh, rocket hits the bridge and he gets uh, slammed against the car. Uh, b- by the way, I know everyone, even if you haven't seen the movie, you've seen that because it's in all yeah. the trailers and everything. That is, I think, one of my favorite stunts in the last decade of cinema. It's oh, really yeah. cool. So amazing looking. And the window explodes. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's, <laughs> it, it's great. Uh, and uh, so, uh, and have you seen Ghost Protocol yet? No, not uh, yet. I haven't seen it. it. Did you like it? I loved it. Good. It's okay. uh, fantastic. Um, Red Bird. Um, he is uh it is i think the best action film of the year um and i've seen a lot of action films um but um you should see it in imax okay that's what i hear it was shot in imax and that's that's actually what has kept me from seeing is because just the the closest imax theater to me is they only have like two uh showings a day okay and it's like, and they never seem to line up for me. But I'm that one. I definitely want to. We should go see it together. When was the last time you and I saw a movie together? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, you should. And it uh, features uh, a particular sequence, which I think is um, quite chaotic, um, but it is uh, ingenious. It is perfect, and you will recognize it uh, as when you see the film. Uh, and I and I want to uh, use this uh, opportunity to elaborate a little bit uh, or maybe give you the opportunity to do so when you're saying chaos cinema you're not referring to what's happening within the story i mean there's plenty of great action films 
in which a lot of stuff is happening and you could describe it as chaos you're talking about the presentation of the it. presentation yes. is chaotic mm-hmm. not not what's happening mm-hmm. how it's yeah. happening mm-hmm. okay just uh, making sure well, we should start um thinking about wrapping up pretty soon so i want to talk about you know we mentioned uh uh, obviously, you've got Martin Campbell, you've got J.J. Abrams, we've got Brad Bird out there holding it down for the for uh, the the kind of action sequences that Matthias would like to see more of. Um, do you see the uh, chaos cinema uh, getting worse? Do you see it as a as a trend, or do you think it'll fade away? Let me talk about you know what. Uh, hold that because I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, muscle in here with two films that are coming out in the coming weeks one of which i've seen and one of which i've seen a scene from um uh contraband uh baltazar cormac uh, film i just saw the other day i can review talk about it. is up the review is up by the time you hear this and yeah by the time this is posted the embargo is lifted so i can talk about it here just you guys don't spread it around to anyone uh it definitely it's it's not very good um and it definitely is uh chaotic it definitely feels like um, uh, Paul Greengrass light, <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you will. Um, and then the week after that, which I will also have a review of, but I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's Haywire, and I'm looking forward to see it. And, uh, like I said, I haven't seen the film, but at Comic Con I saw one long extended fight sequence, mm-hmm. and it was the exact opposite of what we're mm-hmm. talking about here. The exact opposite of chaos. The camera barely even. I mean, there's a number of shots, but within the shots, the camera is static. Good old Steven. Uh, you know, and showing you in this in, in widescreen this perfectly choreographed fight, and you see Gina Carano and Michael Fassbender. That was the fight they showed us. You see the fight progress from the door to the hotel room, along the one wall, and then in, through the bedroom door into the bedroom, and then onto the bed. And it just, the, again, this, this idea of diegetic space. You... By the time it's over, you understand the entire layout of the hotel room and exactly where they've been and what hits and what blows landed where. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. I guess I just wanted to provide two examples before I ask you about your point. Mm-hmm. Um, two different examples, specifically, before I ask you about uh, my question of um, where is this going? Is mm-hmm. will, will, it, will it worsen or will it fade away? Uh, I think um, this chaotic mode of presentation is still quite in vogue uh so i expect to see it uh even more frequently in certain films um but again mission impossible 4 ghost protocol featured an extensive uh chaos sequence and it was just handled with uh so much care uh that uh i think the style definitely i mean has its merits and uh can contribute um immensely uh to action film style and i mean in the video essay i also pointed out that there are certain um genres that make use of chaos cinema uh or at least chaos style um where again it detracts from the overall experience um musicals for instance where everything is just fragmented and you cannot see the uh dance choreography or um i also um (laughs) pointed to uh tony scott um and uh basically there are uh, tony scott likes the moving camera the roaming camera and uh there in his films there uh, there are certain scenes where he employs the moving camera to capture dialogue exchanges so you have close-ups of the of the actors and you have the moving the roaming camera particularly in unstoppable and i think that sort of detracts from the performance uh of the actors um but overall um tony scott i i think uh 
has a has quite an, an interesting rococo style, very expressionist, and uh, I. I certainly mind that when it comes to action, but uh, that should not devalue his style overall, his approach to cinema, Mm -hmm. which uh, is quite energetic. And may I briefly point out that uh, one of your writers, actually, Scott Nye, um, he um, called me out on the video essay uh, Uh in one of his uh, blog posts, and it was on – Doubtedly, the best rebuttal that I received because it was very educational, and uh, I also responded to him uh, on his blog, and we had a brief discourse. And uh, I think he also enlightened me about the uh, potential merits of chaos cinema as well. Um, so I think there should be room for discussion about that, and not well, just well uh, done, Scott. Trash talk, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And him, he is. Uh, it's nice of you to refer to him as our writer, Scott. He was writing before he wrote for us. He's the guy who that, writes for uh, us. True. I feel I feel weird claiming any sort of possession over Scott and his opinions. Not me. Although I wish I could, because he's a he's a smart guy. Um, I agree. Ah, uh, shit. What was I going to say? <laughs> I had something. Oh, it was right there. I bet it was really good. So, uh, oh man, it was good. The- <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Maybe we'll carry it into next week's episode, which won't make any sense to the guest. But uh, now. <laughs> Let me ask you this. There was a movie that I saw this year. Do you have it now? It's one of those things where it was something I thought of way earlier. Oh, okay. (laughs) The moment has long since passed. Yeah, long since. I was going to point out way back from when I was talking about Contraband Mm -hmm. and called it Greengrass Light that it is – Contraband is shot by Greengrass's DP, Barry Aykroyd, who does a great job. Oh, okay. That's what I was trying to think of. Completely unimportant. We've completely moved past it. It's pretty insightful, David. But I still had to say (laughs) But – there is a movie that came out this year that has the, in which the accent, uh, action is is done quite well, but it almost part of me felt like it needed to embrace chaos more because I came away from the whole film feeling quite cold, uh, and that is Hannah. Hannah. Did you see Hannah? I did. What did you think? Uh, my, uh, my opinion is very much in the minority. By the way, I. Uh I recently uh, finalized my uh, list of my favorite films, and I forgot to include Hannah for some reason. Um, when I've made my top ten, but it definitely an honorable mention. I liked it quite a bit, mm-hmm. actually. Did you think? What did you think of uh, the action? Like, it was there. There were certain moments which were again uh, very uh, fragmentary, or for lack of a better word, expressionistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, overall, I think the action was handled uh, quite well. See, I actually thought. All the action sequences with Hannah, with the character of Hannah, mm-hmm. um, those seemed so removed. And I understand why they did it, because of the nature of who her character is. She has so – you know, I mentioned before about the character having a, a level of control that will get us through the action sequence. She is in so con- – she's in such control at all times that really – and, and uh, Joe Wright directs as such um, that I feel like – it's the outcome is already predetermined, and so part of him is like, "No, oh, okay." It's a cool get, display. It's a cool display, but after a while, it's just like I, I have no. I need to feel like there are some stakes, and I know there are stakes, but she's going to kill everyone, and problem solved. That like, whereas, and I, and this speaks to I think this speaks to Joe Wright's ability as a director because it's not like that was his default when it comes to the action sequences because. All the action sequences with Eric Bana, clearly the character's a little older, 
and a little bit out of practice and he and it's not the the outcome is not guaranteed when it's him and so uh joe wright embraces chaos a little bit and goes Mm -hmm. a little bit more expressionistic as you say and in those sequences i'm like oh oh like i was actually Mm -hmm. i was on the edge of my seat with those and some of that might have had to do with the fact that i liked his character more than hannah hannah the character of hannah i find to be very cold Mm -hmm. but um but I think I think Joe Wright, you could do worse than have well choreographed, well shot action sequence that is a little bit emotionally cold. And I think I, I like the direction that he's going. I wasn't a huge fan of Atonement, but uh, I did like Pride and Prejudice. And Hannah is is an interesting step for him. And as a as an action director, I'd like to see what he does next if he decides to go further in that direction mm-hmm. um so uh, the mission possible would you be your favorite action film of 2011 then? uh yes certainly okay. i saw another one which i liked quite a bit however for the uh, specific purpose that i can use it for chaos cinema in the future and that is uh, fast five Hmm. Oh, okay. Which I see, um, oh, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I have uh, serious uh, issues I, with uh, the film's uh, notion of uh, morality and uh, human life in general, <laughs> because uh, there are so many scenes of uh, senseless destruction um, where people get hurt, people die, and the characters don't care. Yeah. Um, Did you ever see Bad Boys Two? Yes. When they're, <laughs> when they're in Cuba and they're just plowing that, through. Yes, like, exactly. That is that village, horrible. It's it's unconscionable. Yes. Um, but at least you don't see the people in uh, these uh, cabins. Right. Uh, but you see, you do see um, uh, corpses uh, lined up on streets uh, who just drop off uh, cars in Bad Boys 2. <laughs> don't you remember that? Uh no, I feel like I don't. Uh, but I do know, but I do remember the the yes, the sequence of just them, you know, just bouncing along and being like, "Woo!" like yeah. the whole time it's like people are dying. Yeah. Oh wait, I'm sorry. We're lucky nobody was hurt. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, just, that's yes, the line they say. Um did you see 13 Assassins? I did. Takashi Miike and uh it was uh fantastic. It's, you liked um, the I mean the I I loved it. The I mean it's not really much of an exaggeration to say that the the final third of the film is <laughs> one big battle. An action extravaganza. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it had meticulous sound design. That's what I uh, liked about it the most. And we, um, in the essay, also point out that uh, in these moments where um, the visuals become so fragmentary and incoherent that sound design can compensate for that if it mm-hmm. is um, judiciously employed so that it's not just one big mess. Um, but... Uh, 13 Assassins was uh, exceptional. And uh, this is the Takashi Miike film that I liked from this year because I also went to uh, the Cannes Film Festival and I saw his first 3D effort, Death of a Samurai, which was a Shakespearean drama um, about uh, samurai. And uh, both films actually deal with um, the um, passing of that time of the samurai. But the 3D completely superfluous in that film but uh so before we before we end i did want to uh talk a little bit about your and this this has less to do with uh with the subject at hand which is chaos cinema and more to do with uh you as uh, as now an internet presence uh because <laughs> your video essay has been mentioned in various other 
you know, pretty high-profile places, I believe. Uh, was it New York Times Online? Uh, yes. That uh, that singled it out, and, and, you know, congratulations for that, by the way. I think it's That well was deserved. quite an honor, but, uh, again, it's just a brief mentioning in an article. We haven't been mentioned. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but, it's uh, over now. <laughs> but, the, but either way, it's uh, well-deserved, and so... Um, and on the on the car ride over, I was telling you this that uh, you know it took it took David and I a while. David and me. I'm sorry. Yes, it took David and me. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to point it out, but I didn't feel I had the prerogative to do so. I'm sorry. <laughs> Get I, off my show. Um, <laughs> foreign, foreign language learner. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, but. Uh, you know, we we had been at this a while before we started getting any sort of negative feedback. <laughs> y- and you, the, I believe the uh, comparison I made was, it's not often that you, you know, get attacked by piranha the moment you dip your toe into the river. <laughs> you know, usually you have to wade in and be there a while and then they find you. But uh, but with you, I mean, I... I I watched the videos and I read some of the some of the comments and certainly uh, somebody like Scott had legitimate complaints and, and he had points to make and that's fine but mm-hmm. there are some yeah, that's the difference yeah Scott does, does does it right there's too much of the uh, the internet is the, people are just more interested in being right than in having a discussion right and Scott had a um, it was a an exceptional piece, um, again, uh, with uh, truly strong arguments. And, a, again, we had we engaged in a discourse. It was very respectful. And uh, I learned a lot from that exchange. And there were other people who um, basically provided uh, constructive criticism, um, which I appreciate a lot because, again, I'm a student of film. I'm here to learn. Um, I'm eager to learn, and I want to learn more about the art form and uh, – there were certain people who just helped me expand my horizon. Then there were others who were not quite as um, appreciative of the work, and that is okay. Um, but their comments were, I believe, rather designed to not critique but to hurt. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With with the internet, we've got the greatest communication tool the world has ever seen. Let's not use it just to call each other douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it really uh, fascinated me because and, and you know, it, I guess I'm sort of getting up on my uh, high horse a little bit, and maybe even sounding a little self righteous. But to me, I don't understand how anybody could look at those video essays and then come away with a strong, this passionate feeling of hatred towards the person that, that did them. At no point did, it, did you make it sound as though anybody who likes these movies is an idiot, who is who's purely interested in visceral thrills and not interested in you know, dealing with character or, or exploring action film or anything like that. You, you, gave, you didn't give that impression at all. And yet some people, it surprised me how obviously threatened they felt as if if you don't agree with me wholeheartedly or if you call into question movies that i happen to like then it's a personal attack and (laughs) since you've personally attacked me which incidentally you haven't but since i'm taking it as a personal attack i will now translate this into a personal attack towards you nerds (laughs) just the thing that you are okay film is my favorite thing in the entire world but you know what it's still just movies. 
You know, we can have a civil conversation about it. It's not... But then, I, I'm not attacking your character if I disagree with right. you about movies. But David, that's that that is the thing. And and you know, Matthias, you might have felt this as well. Is that I mean, we've we've gotten complaints before that we don't quote unquote take movies seriously. Like you and I have, you know, we have loved ones. <laughs> not to imply other people don't, right. but we've also had certain life experiences that suddenly it's just like, oh, the shit I thought was important is not. Uh-huh. It's still important, but it is not ultimate. It is not ultimately important, and so like, yeah, it's just movies, mm-hmm. you know, and and the idea that that for some people, it, it's incredibly important to me, and I've gotten in arguments, try with people who say it's not important at all and shouldn't be important to you. So I do go the other way as well, but it's just. Man, who cares? Like you had, you had like very interesting, thoughtful, you know, uh, video essays that are that call into question some a trend that you see in modern action film. There's, I don't see anything wrong with that. Even if I, even if I disagreed wholeheartedly with everything you said, it's not a personal attack. It's not a personal attack. Yeah, and I want to clarify when I say it's just movies. I, st- I mean, uh, film and and any other art for- form has. Uh, a great deal of power and importance mm-hmm. to, to to culture, but uh, I, I guess what I mean is that it's not it's not your character. It's yeah. not a character attack to say that you know oh, you liked uh, you know you know you liked Warhorse and I didn't. Uh, yeah. That's it's fine. It's okay. Who liked Warhorse? Uh, hosts of other shows. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> the, um, okay. Well, one of them. Yeah. Yeah, he's a big fan of it. But uh, the. <laughs> Um, that was my threatening voice. Uh, my sounds, attempt uh, at sounding... You should have just uh, spoken German. That sounds threatening enough. Um, <laughs> off mic, I've given uh, I've given our guest uh, a lot of a lot of fun jabs about his nationality, which incidentally I have no right to give because I'm an American. Damn it, Dad uh, is okay. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that is where we're going to end it right Abs- there. Absolutely. So, uh, Matthias, thank you for being on the show. Um, thank you so much for having me. No problem. It's an honor. Uh, anytime you can, uh, and you can. You, the listener, can find us, as always, at BattleshipPretension.com, where you can uh, you know, download episodes or listen to episodes. or uh, You can also subscribe on iTunes, and uh, we wouldn't mind if you did, or wrote us a review. Uh, also, there are, uh, on BattleshipPretension.com, uh, regularly updated um, reviews and uh, of, of theatrical releases and of... Uh, home video, DVD, and Blu-ray releases, as well as the occasional feature. Um, this week in theatrical releases, this upcoming week I mentioned, we will have a review of Steven Soderbergh's Haywire. We will have a review of Rafe Fine's Coriolanus. And I believe we will have a review of Gerardo Naranjo's Miss Bala. I might be mispronouncing his name. Uh, and stuff, can- and uh, a couple other things. Um, our blogger Kyle Anderson has been working his way through the entire James Bond catalog. We mentioned James Bond uh, a decade this episode. at a time, yeah. decade at a time, and uh, cool. he just posted. I've been uh, reading that. He just posted about the '80s, which, as far as I can tell, the dark period of, uh, of the James Bond franchise, <laughs> the disco period. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so he's he's uh, he's put a lot of time and effort into that. They're very interesting pieces, so uh, do take the time to go and, and read that. And mm-hmm. our bloggers have also uh, been 
posting their uh, 10 favorite movies of uh, 2011. Oh, yeah. Um, That's worth talking because they, yeah. there's so much, um, so many different sites are doing their 10 favorite movies. Uh, we are not, um, as, as we just railed on internet nerd culture, we are not uh, that interested in being first all the time. We kind of, uh, my uh, idea is that I want to be uh, thorough, I think. Yeah. Um, and as a part-time critic, sometimes it takes me a little longer to catch up. Um, but the fun thing about having these awesome writers is that um, so far we've got three top ten lists that have been going mm-hmm. up about once a week. Um, and they will continue to go up about once a week uh, from our other uh, writers, their top ten list of 2011, leading up to me and uh, to, to me and Tyler's um, top ten of 2011 podcast, which will be the Sunday before the Oscars mm-hmm. uh, is when that will that will go up. Um, so this is a really fun way we're doing it this year, uh, yeah. and I really thank um, all the all the writers who have been giving us these these lists, and all of the and all of the uh, readers and listeners that have been commenting. I love and, the comments and love keeping uh, the conversations going. I, I do appreciate that. Um, so in addition to that, of course, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can email us first off, uh, David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. I, David, am on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension, and Tyler's on Twitter at twitter.com slash more lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at more than one lesson.com or on iTunes. And uh, speaking of that, um, I wanted to let everyone know about uh, – the episode that we just recorded and an upcoming episode. Uh, the most recent episode is about the Jodie Foster film, The Beaver, starring Mel Gibson, uh, which I realize I probably should not have devoted a whole episode to because one of the notable things about it is that nobody saw it. And so why, why would I do an episode about that? It premiered but, at Cannes. Oh, well, I guess... Uh, Highly sophisticated fair. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, and so, uh, but in a few days, uh, an episode about Tree of Life will be going up uh, that nice. has already been recorded, uh, and so that'll be going up the 18th. And I know, and I don't mean to, you know, toot my own horn or anything, but a lot of people have said, given the nature of Tree of Life and the nature of More Than One Lesson, they've said, I'd like to know what you think of Tree of Life. <laughs> and so that episode is going up in, I guess, four days from now. All right. Have so. you done an episode on the Adjustment Bureau? No, I haven't. I, I wanted to, and then I saw it. It's not was, a very good movie. And I was like, I, <sighs> I would like the Christian point of view on it. I know. But yeah, it's not very good. Um, <laughs> May I briefly uh, chime in and plug the website again? Well, give me, yeah, That's I, cool. I, I'm going to well, come to you in just thank a second. You. I appreciate my, uh, that. As always, my other podcast is the weekly television review show, Previously On, which you can find at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. So. Matthias, thank where you. can people find you on the internet? Okay, um, first of all, um, people should listen to more than one lesson and previously on great shows as well. Um, oh, thank you. And I do. Um, hopefully that's not a deter- deterrent. <laughs> um, yes, um, th- well, I work for uh, Pressplay, which is uh, now administered by IndieWire. So it's on IndieWire and the blog is uh, Pressplay. You can find a uh, variety of video essays on there. Um, recently... The team launched a series on Steven Spielberg, which was uh, fantastic. And, uh, yeah, we have a uh, quite a selection of video essays, and they are quite enjoyable. And they may also provoke uh, interesting discussions. Awesome. And I, I think I will uh, try to, on the blog entry for this episode, I think I will try to link to uh, the Chaos Cinema uh, video essays so that you don't have to... Hey, don't try. Appreciate it. Do Thank it. you. I'm de- you know what? No guarantees. I don't like to speak definitively. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then? I might lose the use of both my arms. 
All right, uh, Matthias Stork, thank you so much for joining us. On thank the show. you. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And, uh, yes, thank you. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.